Do you want to be a leader who gets noticed, gets things done, and gets real results? Then you need influence and authority. Join host Jennifer McClure to learn how to build authority, expand your influence, and increase your impact. This is the Impact Makers Podcast with Jennifer McClure. Well, hey there, Impact Makers. Thank you for joining me for this week's episode of the Impact Makers Podcast, where my goal is to provide you with tools, tips, resources, and information to build a career that you love and a life that matters. And you are in for a treat today, my friends. If you're interested in finding and creating meaning in your work and in your life, you first got to clarify your purpose. But if you've ever spent any time trying to define what that means for you, you may have found yourself either getting frustrated that you just can't nail down what your purpose is, or you've fallen down into a rabbit hole of platitudes and created a catchphrase that really doesn't resonate with your audience, or even worse, doesn't even make sense to you. So I'm excited to share this conversation with you today with my friend Kevin Monroe. Kevin is someone who has operated at the intersection of purpose and servant leadership throughout his life, and he's passionate about the pursuit of purpose and the power of gaining clarity about it for years, long before it became the cool thing to do. Through his work today as a coach and consultant, Kevin helps leaders to infuse purpose into their culture and leadership practices so that they can tap into the power of purpose to build their business and to create more meaning in life. And like many people who have a deep understanding of a subject, he's developed his knowledge and understanding through a personal and career journey that has included many ups, but also a few downs. And all of those experiences helped him to find his way to doing the meaningful and important work that he does today. I've known Kevin for a couple of years now, and I love how passionate and positive he is about the work that he does. He is a natural encourager, providing great insights, and has a real talent for helping leaders and companies to connect the work that they do to something greater than themselves. I think you'll enjoy my conversation with Kevin today, and you'll come away with a better understanding of what defining and understanding your purpose can mean for you in your work, in your business, and in your life. Well, welcome Kevin Monroe to the Impact Makers Podcast. I'm so excited to have you here with me today. How are you doing, Kevin? Jennifer, I am doing awesome, and I'm going to put you into the excitement contest. I think I'm more excited to be here than you are excited for me to be here. You know what? I'm going to let you have that one. Usually I'm pretty competitive, but I'm going to let you let you be the most excited to be here today. So we'll we'll go with that. <laughs> I really am. I mean, I've been looking forward to this. I'm honored to truly honored to be on the show with you. Well, thank you. And I look forward to um, sharing a little bit of your story with the people that are listening to this podcast and continuing to learn from you as we chat. But before we get started, I've shared a little bit in the intro about who you are and what you do, but maybe tell me a little bit about who you would say Kevin Monroe is. Uh, pick a point in your journey where you want to start from and tell us about you. Wow. Um, I'm a pilgrim. I'm a pilgrim. Okay. We haven't had anybody on yet who came across on the Mayflower. <laughs> yeah, I, it wasn't the Mayflower pilgrim. But, you know, Jennifer, I've been on a pilgrimage all of my life. And um, I'm, I'm somebody that that has just had this reinvention and rediscovery in, in different phases. I think we're all that way. A question I love asking people, has your life been more of a straight line or a zigzag? Mm-hmm. 
I met one person that said straight line from the time they left college to where they are now. Most people can relate. It's a zigzag and, and a whole lot of zigs and zags. And so I've had more of that. And last week I had an epiphany. Straight lines are overrated. Yes, absolutely. Especially when it comes to your life journey. That's right. Enjoy the journey. The so exits are where all the cool stuff is, right? Yeah. <laughs> you know, I started out in life thinking that um, to, to live a life of purpose mean, meant you had to be in one of the professional caring professions like teaching, nursing, or clergy. Well, I, I, I'd never make it as a nurse. Uh, probably wasn't smart enough to, to do teaching, but I thought I could pull off the church stuff. Um, and then I got fired from a church. Whoa, wait a minute. Full stop. We have to, we have to, we have to take a step off there. <laughs> how, how did that happen? <laughs> well, you know, I don't know. Um, yeah, I just had a different understanding of uh, who Jesus had in mind when he said, go to the least lost and lonely. Mm -hmm. and, and I really connected with the guys that were in a drug rehab program in the community we served. Mm -hmm. And when they started coming to our upper middle income church, some folks were less comfortable with that than I was. And it just kind of created th this thing. And I found out, you know, really, I am much more comfortable hanging out with folks who know their life is screwed up than folks who think their life is together and it is screwed up. Sure. Yeah. So where did that take you from there? Yeah. It ultimately led to a conversation where I could make a two-year commitment to do something that I was going to be miserable doing. Or, and I said, well, what's my choice? And they said a two-week notice. I said, well, I picked door B, two-week notice, I'm out. And that led for us, and what I shared earlier this week for the first time, I, I use this phrase, I, I thought my life was over then because I thought that, I understood purpose to be this pinhole prick in the universe. For me to live a purposeful life meant I could do that and only that. And I finally had navigated my way to that pinhole prick in the universe and then got fired. Then like, now what? Um, and what I thought had been the end of the road and was, you know, what happens when your dream becomes a nightmare? And I think most, I don't want to say most, I think a lot of people listening can understand. We've had dream jobs that didn't turn out to be the dream we thought they were. We had dream relationships that didn't turn out to be the dream we thought that was going to be. You know, all of these dream vacation. I remember the time, fortunately, my wife did not go on this trip with me. At the last minute, our son went with me. We're going down to San Juan, Puerto Rico. I was there on a client project, excited. And we were staying at this, I won't say the name because I don't want to get either of us sued, but... <laughs> the blank, 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 hotel.com website. We'd looked at the website and there was this beautiful, beautiful hotel on the website. That's not the hotel we checked into. <laughs> but in the lobby, they had the architectural rendering of that new hotel. <laughs> and that's what they had on the website was the picture of what the hotel was going to become. We checked into the hotel that was 40 years old that definitely needed that makeover. So, you know, we've all had these dream situations that became less than the dream. And I discovered often we think we're at the end of the road when it's really just a bend in the road if we could see around the corner. Mm -hmm. But we're, we're there. So I was at a dead end. Uh, my dad taught me something that I re really came back. People skills are transferable. You, you, you know, if you have a, and my parents gave me a strong work ethic and my dad gifted me with these great people skills. I'm like, well, you can do anything. Mm -hmm. So I started looking, what would I do? And I ended up in sales and marketing. But, you know, so that was what that led to. So what were you selling? What were you marketing? 
wow, I was in wireless telecommunications back in the early day when we called them cell phones. Um, and, and they were they were little bricks that you carried in your bricks. car, right? <laughs> they were bricks. I remember when the first portable came out, and you know that was the that was the big brick portable, yeah. the uh, the uh, Motorola HP is what it was called, and it had thirty minute talk time with the battery. You know, you, you could talk for thirty minutes, then you had to recharge somewhere. I and had one of those. I kept it. Dollars. I kept it. Well, I didn't have the two thousand dollars version, but I had one of those early ones, and I kept it in the trunk of my car because okay. it was it was for emergencies, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So. So, were you still while you were selling wireless things and marketing wireless things, um, kind of thinking about purpose, or did that kind of take a back seat? Yeah. Well, going back to this pill, I think it was always there because I really do. I remember a point like 10 or 11 years old, sitting out on the swing behind my parents, the house I grew up in, in this very small town, Perry, Georgia, and just being aware of the bigness of the world mm-hmm. and, and realizing that there was a, first off, that there was order to the universe and that there was a place for me in it and that that I was on the planet to do something, you know, and I believe, I love people that are like us, that just believe we're here in whatever capacity we are to make the world a little bit better, you know, to leave it better than we found it or leave our corner of it better than we found it. And that's why I love impact makers is everybody, everybody has the ability to make an impact and make the world better. Well, we, we can agree on that. So where did the sales career take you? How, how did the journey go from there? Well, yeah. I mean, that was a great journey. Um, I, I spent 10 years, okay, going back to the dream thing. Mm-hmm. I spent 10 years pursuing the dream. And so my dream was a little different. And, and that was I was not willing to move my family every two or three years. At that point, when we moved to Atlanta, uh, Gwen, my wife, was was eight and a half months pregnant when we moved here. And so folks, if you're pregnant, here's something I did learn. If you move when you're pregnant, they charge pregnancy by the whole package. So we paid twice to have Lindsay delivered once. You know? Oh, wow. The, the doctor in Birmingham that didn't perform the delivery got paid just as much as if he had done the whole thing plus the delivery. The doctor in Atlanta got paid the whole thing as if he had done the nine months prenatal and all of that when all he showed up was to, you know, carry the ball across the goal line there. Uh, <laughs> so to speak. <laughs> so to speak. Uh, so, yeah, we, we, we paid for our daughter twice and, and we told her the second one was on the installment plan. You know, the first one was insurance covered. The second one was all us. But we did that for, for 10 years. I was in pursuing that dream job, Jennifer. Mm-hmm. Oh, what I was saying, for me, we just committed we weren't going to move our family. You know, I I didn't sign up for the plan and say, hey, I'll go anywhere. I had friends that were rising through the ranks, moving every two or three years, getting reload, all of that. No, that wasn't for me. I wanted to stay where I was. took me 10 years to get the dream job. Six months later, I realized, God, this dream job is not the dream job. Mm -hmm. I love people. And I was good in sales and marketing because I love people. Well, the further up I climbed the ladder, the fewer people people I saw, or or I saw the same people every day. We were in meetings all Mm -hmm. day long, every day, strategy meetings, planning meetings, promotion meetings. And then the only time I got to see a customer, you know, they were the mad customers. (laughs) 
that had to see the person in charge. And I'm like, well, this isn't what I signed up for. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I left then and joined a high-tech startup company with some friends. And who knew the internet bubble was about to burst at that point in time? It was good timing. Good timing on your part. Good timing. (laughs) (laughs) We're at the end of that. And uh, so, so at the end of 2001, our company was, was just crushed. Um, and, and then I was trying to figure out what do I want to do with life? And at that point, I knew I did not want to go back to corporate America. Um, so what was it about corporate America that you knew you didn't want to go back? Uh, well, okay. I, I just saw a lot of the emptiness. I saw folks... Um, Uh, So, Jennifer, I think it's really important for all of us to define success as we understand success. In corporate America, I was chasing someone else's definition of success. Mm -hmm. You know, they had set the rules that here's what it looks like to succeed, and it just wasn't satisfying to me. Uh, So, I wanted to do something different. Uh, The last three years that I had been in corporate America, I I was working for a great company that had this community values value and volunteerism. And we had started volunteering with a homeless shelter. Mm -hmm. And our family for three and a half years, every week as a family went down, fixed a meal, served a meal, took other families with us. We're doing this. And thought, wow, I was finding a lot more fulfillment in in you know serving meals to the homeless than the corporate job I had. Mm -hmm. And so when all of that ended, and, and that was kind of what was the impetus behind all of us doing this startup together. We were doing a healthcare-based startup, but all of us had these ambitions of doing social enterprise or, uh, you know, some kind of ministry or mission work that the business, the startup, was going to fund and fuel. Mm-hmm. So when all of that crashed, I was just like, "Well, that's still what I want to do." So I started working with nonprofits, and I ended up working for nonprofits, and that's when I learned the real the realization that the nonprofit sector paid about half. <laughs> it's it's hard to be profitable in the nonprofit sector. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I did that for two and a half years. I was working for a small nonprofit. And one day the vice president said, called me in. He said, Hey, I got some really bad news for you. Um, it looks like we're losing funding for your position. I'm like, okay. Uh, and, and that's when I realized, okay, I'm going to start a business. And then two weeks later he came back and he said, Oh, we we're just kidding. We found money. You don't have to worry <laughs> Well, Jennifer, I'd already checked out. <laughs> Too I late. Know what I was going to do, and uh, at that point, I had formed my business, which is uh, the name, official name's X Factor Consulting. Mm-hmm. That was in April. Well, golly, that, that uh, the, the time of this recording. Who knows when this airs in the podcast world? You record now and re- release mm-hmm. later. But um, next week, from the time we're recording, that will be uh, f- f- uh, thirteen years ago. 13 years ago next week when I formed the business, April 19th, 2005, mm-hmm. yeah, was when I filed papers. And then the first day in business fully funded with a client was September 16th of that year. So tell me about that six-month time period from the, uh, I've signed the papers, but I, I don't have a client yet. What, was, what did that look like? Well, desperation, frustration, <laughs> wondering. Uh, and excitement, uh, right? <laughs> can this really happen? Is, you know, is there, is there a, a client or how could we find a client? Where would this, how could we fund this work that we want to do? Mm-hmm. 
And so then what, was, what was the focus of your work? What were you well, planning to do? Okay. So then I would say it was purpose-driven, but then the, the language we were using was mission-driven. We were wanting to serve mission-driven organizations. Um, so I started X-Factor Consulting to help uh, mission-based organizations, largely nonprofits, uh, tap into more resources to do what it was they wanted to do in the world. And um, in August of that year, I had a consulting or a contracting firm call me with the opportunity to do a piece of work for them. They said, mm-hmm. would you be interested in this? Here's what the, the client wants. And it was a client I knew from the past, had opportunity, had, had done work for them two or three years before, but was not actively involved at that moment. They knew me and they're like, we need somebody to help us do these two things in two states and put together a budget. I put together a budget, sent it to them. And uh, that was enough. When, when I got a contract, the first thing I did was wrote a letter of resignation to my current nonprofit employer and then signed a contract, submitted that. And then the very next day, Jennifer, they called me and said, hey, can you do two more projects? Mm-hmm. I'm like, really? And so that doubled the amount of work that we had. And then the next week they called me and said, can you take on two more? So in um, about eight days, we had six projects to do that more than funded our little consulting firm for a whole year. Wow. So did you feel like then you had finally kind of connected with what you were meant to do in the world or was that at that Were you point, just yeah. like, this is good? No, I thought, this is it. This is it. Um, so one thing I will say is, for me, I've had those this is it moments several times. And I believe I believe our path to purpose continually, continually illuminates. We see more. We understand as much as we can handle now. We get a little further down the road. The light of day is brighter. We see more, and we go further. Mm-hmm. But at that point in time, I thought, this is it. Um, well, at that time, and, and today, purpose is something I think that is really on the forefront for a lot of people. So you are a pioneer and, and a pilgrim in that, that you were, you were thinking about purpose and, and working in that area before it kind of became the cool thing to do. But what, what was purpose to you 12 years ago? And has that changed in terms of the work that you're doing or how you view it today? Wow. Let's, let me think about that. So I'll make a, co- a couple of comments here, Jennifer. One, I, I think of purpose like a diamond, you know, mm-hmm. that it's multifaceted. Um, I do not think of purpose as just one dimensional um, and, and that you just have this one purpose. I, I think there are multiple facets to it. So for me, and I'll say this, this is something I, I really learned from my friend Mark Tim over at Ziegler Family. If you're a parent, if you're listening to this and you're wondering, what's my purpose in life? Well, if you're a parent, you have a purpose. Mm-hmm. You don't have to look any further than your own family to find purpose. So for me, I'm a husband. I'm a father. I'm a grandfather. Part of my purpose is really embedded in that, mm-hmm. uh, you know, it is to really be um, often I use this in intros sometimes, and I was pondering this when you said introduce yourself. And I started to say, well, I've carried a lot of prestigious titles through the years, but the ones I love right now are husband, father, grandfather, or papa, and friend. 
those are the titles that really jazz me at this point in life. Yeah, call me anything else that doesn't really matter, but you know, the, these relationships. Uh, I remember sitting in a room and hearing this statement from Barbara Sable from the Kellogg Foundation. Relationships are primary. All else is derivative. Mm-hmm. So for me, you know, a, a purpose stems out of relationships a lot. Purpose always involves something bigger than you, bigger than me. Serving others is a path to purpose. So that's what we had really figured out then was, gosh, we had this business that was helping those companies that were serving whatever it was in the nonprofit sector, whether they were serving the homeless or whether they were serving veterans or whether they were serving um uh, at that point in time, it was popular. They may not use this phrase anymore, but mentoring children of prisoners were programs that the government was funding, you know, mm-hmm. uh, all of these things. Hey, we just wanted to make the world a better place. So anything we could do to help somebody that was on that quest, we loved it. But you, your, your point a moment ago, here's what I realized, Jennifer, and I realize now, wow, in the last 12 years, the world has changed. It's like 15 years ago, the nonprofit sector had a lock on purpose. If you wanted to do purposeful work or mission-driven work, you worked in the nonprofit sector, and everybody else just kind of got by. Well, now all of a sudden, purpose has popped up everywhere in business. And in a lot of businesses, we have LC3s, uh, B Corps, that have formalized their commitment, not only to purpose, but to planet and to people and to profit. Mm-hmm. Now that gets me excited, you know, yeah. and realize, wow, you can do well and do good mm-hmm. and be in business on purpose. And so that's the way the, the path has drifted for me through the years. And part of that was because of an econ- economic downturn when there were no nonprofits that had any money to hire us. Right. Uh, now what do we do? So today in your business, are you still focused on uh, more of the company work with helping companies kind of identify and and define their purpose or individuals or both? <laughs> yeah, loaded question there. <laughs> um, you know, Jennifer, it's kind of funny. Um, th- this path, th- there, there are times you you get clarity by doing or trying to do and stuff doesn't happen. I, I really, I love helping people find their individual purpose. That wasn't working for me from an economic angle. Mm -hmm. Uh, People weren't that willing to really invest. And I'm like, well, wow, this is interesting. But my work has always been with corporations. When when I was in sales, what did I do? I handled major accounts, national accounts, big accounts, corporate accounts. That was where I was always working. I'm like, well, huh, how about that? So, Go back to what doing what I know, helping corporations, business owners, and business leaders um, that are in business, like say, on purpose. And part of this is because uh, in the intervening years, back from when I was doing nonprofit work to the work I'm doing today, I've done a lot of work around servant leadership. And what I kind of all of a sudden, I didn't realize so much at the time as much looking back huh, the companies that are interested in servant leadership, guess what? Those are companies that are people first and usually purpose-powered. They want to, they're they're in business not just for profit, but for purpose. Mm-hmm. So all of that kind of comes together and I'm like, huh, I've been following a thread all this time. I didn't see the thread, yeah, but the thread was there. So you were being built for your purpose. Um, maybe that's the way it works. So tell me when you say servant leadership, what does servant leadership mean to you? 
Yeah. Uh, yeah. To me, uh, servant leadership means other centered leadership, leadership that, 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 okay, something has to be at the center of leadership. And the way I grew up in some of the businesses I was in early in life, it was ego and power that was at the center of leadership and leadership was all about me. That never felt comfortable to me. And, and so this whole idea of other centered leadership, which servant leadership is one of those avenues, how do we put other people first? So the way I define servant leadership is an approach to life and leadership that places the needs, growth, and development of others ahead of those leading. So I am here for you. As your leader, I'm here for you. You're not here for me. I'm here for you. So, you know, a lot of people talk about that, the upside down pyramid, the inverted pyramid, mm -hmm. but we see companies that do this exceptionally well, that the people who are leading the organization realize that, that our work is to put other people first and those at the front lines to make sure they have everything they need to serve well. Mm -hmm. Have you seen any research or do you have anything in your work that you've used that shows how servant leadership actually impacts the bottom line, that people who are more servant leaders versus ego power driven leaders have a better impact on the business? Yes. And I will find some of those studies and share with you to put in the show notes for people that actually want studies. Oh, there is great. a book, Firms of Endearment. The author is Raj Sisodia. Uh, Raj is also the co-author of Conscious Capitalism, which was the book written with John Mackey about a different way of doing business, Conscious Capitalism. But in Firms of Endearment, they actually studied firms that were pursuing purpose. And maybe folks listening here remember the Good to Great study and how the Good to Great study, the Good to Great companies outperformed the S&P 500. Mm -hmm. Well, the Firms of Endearment outperformed the good to great companies as well. So there's a lot of research that shows that servant-led companies, and, and when, when you start asking people who are some of the servant-led companies, who comes to mind if I were to ask you, you know, do you know of a company that practices servant leadership? Does somebody come to mind? Chick-fil-A. Chick-fil-A is one of those that always comes to mind uh, because Chick-fil-A is. I remember the very first day I ever visited Chick-fil-A and I wasn't there to work for Chick-fil-A. I was there to serve a nonprofit, help them with a strategic planning process that the Cathy's had some connection to. So they were hosting us at their facility. So we go into the beautiful corporate headquarters of Chick-fil-A down on the south side of Atlanta. When we go into the conference room where we're at, there is Bubba Kathy, who's the CEO of the Chick-fil-A Foundation, standing at the door serving breakfast. Hey, come on in. We're glad you're here. Can I get you a coffee? Here's a biscuit. I'm like, wow. At lunch that day, they have this beautiful uh, food court that serves a whole lot more than just Chick-fil-A. I mean, you can get any gourmet meal basically you want, and they do this for free for their clients. I mean, for their customers. Uh, employees. Well, there was um, Dan Cathy, CEO of the company. Dan plays trumpet, I believe. And once a quarter, Dan plays in a jazz trio or quartet for the benefit of the employees while they're eating lunch. That day, there was Dan, CEO, down there entertaining their employees. And that's just one facet of servant leadership. Another mm -hmm. company that people know of, Southwest Airlines. Mm -hmm. 
you know, the most profitable, most consistent record of profitability in the airline industry. And, and they don't call it necessarily servant leadership, although it is. They say we want our customer, our employees to have a servant's heart. Okay. And if we take care of our employees, this is, this is the business uh, model or uh, the, the equation uh, at Southwest Airlines. If we take care of our employees, our employees will take care of our customers. Our customers will take care of our profits. Mm-hmm. And it works. I actually was listening to an interview with the leader, CEO of a company earlier this week, where he they were talking about how they were very focused on their employees. That was their purpose. And he said, "I." It was a restaurant. He said, "I fully believe that you will taste the engagement of our employees in our food." Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, "I like that. That yeah. that kind of tells me that he gets it. That it makes a difference at the at at the very end. How well people connect with their company and their leadership." Absolutely. So how do people, and I believe that people are leaders in life and at work, so regardless of whether or not they are in the corporate world or employed on their own or a mom or, you know, that works in the home, et cetera, if if they are someone who says, well, this servant leadership, purpose-centered leadership makes sense to me, what are some steps that they can take to either see identify that they're already doing some things right or to find ways that they can develop those skills? Mm-hmm. Or is it something that just comes natural? Are people either born that way or can they be made? Yeah, that 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 whole, you know, um, nature or nurture thing comes up. <clears throat> I believe that anyone can choose servant leadership. I think it's an easier choice for some people than others. Some people, it just kind of, that's just, it comes to them naturally. You know, and I'm not calling names and I'm not calling a company name because it's not my place to say, but I met, I met the CEO, but the CEO did not tell this story. Mm -hmm. It was somebody on his team. It was actually the senior vice president of human resources that told this story. Because <laughs> often I'm working with the HR people, mm-hmm. uh, even though I'm serving the whole team or the whole company or the senior leadership team, the HR people are the ones that are making that happen. So thank you all HR people out there. Love you. Love you dearly. <laughs> Especially when you say, hey, we need to get that Kevin Monroe guy to work with our company. Then I love you even more. <laughs> but it was an HR person that was telling me this about their the, the president. He did not grow up with a lot of affirmation. Affirmation, he knew it was important, but it wasn't easy for him. So every day, he started the day with three pennies in his left pocket. And every time he gave a serious affirmation, sincere affirmation to an employee, somebody on his team, he took a penny from his left pocket and put it in his right pocket. Mm-hmm. And his goal was by the end of the day to have those three pennies in the right pocket. Now, that's a lot of self-awareness there, right? To, to, yeah. to understand the importance of affirmation, to understand that it doesn't come easy or natural for me, and I want a system that has some accountability that helps me do what's important to me. So, for that person, that, that was one way that he did it. So, um, you know, Jennifer, I, I'll, I'll tell a story, and, and I want to make sure in telling the story that the right part of the story is the focus. It's not something I did, even though it was. It was just the, it was the insignificance of what I thought I did and how, uh, let me tee it up. I'm going to tell you, I don't normally do this, but I'm going to tell you the punchline before I tell you the story. Little things matter most. Okay. And we never know what little thing is going to matter most to whom when. 
Okay. Got it. So we had done a servant leadership session for a group of uh, leaders from Latin America. There were 14 Latin American countries together. Unfortunately, we didn't go to Latin America to do it. They came to Miami or uh, South Florida somewhere. So we didn't get to travel and experience. They came to us, but we're there. We do this session. At the end of the day, the gentleman that I had been told was the one that was most resistant to this whole idea of servant leadership came up to me and he said, may I tell you what impacted me most from today's session? Now, as a speaker, Jennifer, because I know you as a speaker, as a speaker or if you're a trainer, doesn't that just excite you? You're like, absolutely. Please yeah. share. Yes. <laughs> and I'm thinking, what was the brilliant thing I said that impressed you so much? What, what <laughs> exercise did we do? What activity? It was none of that. <laughs> none of that. What he said, and this was a little thing, he said, what, what blew me away was when I walked in the room, you met me at the door, looked me in the eye, and shook my hand. Wow. I don't do that for my people, but I am starting now. So it is little things. I, I'm like, that's what I mean, little thing. I'm like, really? You're like, wait, wasn't there an exercise that we did yeah, anymore? <laughs> these great activities? Wasn't it one of the, I mean, you know, point three? Uh, <laughs> no, I mean, none of that. Yeah. When I walked in the door, you looked me in the eye and you shook my hand. Well, where did I learn that, Jennifer? Let me guess, from your mom or dad. Mom and dad. Mm -hmm. Mom and dad taught me treat people with respect. So I can't take credit for that. That that, but as a as a speaker, as a trainer, what what is something that's really important? You do you get there way early, get the room set up, the technology set up, so when people start coming in, what what are you free to do? Connect people, shake their hands, look them in the eye. Hey, I'm glad you're here today. Tell me your name. Yeah, that's what I was doing when I had the greatest impact. <laughs> it was nothing in your session, sir. <laughs> he didn't say that. No. But I think it's uh, it's funny that you mentioned that. And, and I asked the question about, you know, how can we all become better at servant leadership or purpose-centered leadership for my own benefit as well as others? But it's, it's funny that the example that you shared, I worked in an automotive manufacturing plant at one point, and I don't recall why or how. Um, I decided to impart this great wisdom to the leaders in our company, but I think I was frustrated with, we had a great workplace and a lot of great things going on and a lot of people doing good things. And I heard from our supervisors and managers a lot of times as the HR leader about people doing not good things or doing things wrong. And I gave them the assignment to put five pennies in their right pocket. Mm. And the goal was to move all five to the left to find five people doing something right to let them know that and to move five pennies to the left. So I was ahead of my time. I was wondering, I saw you smile. <laughs> yeah, Jennifer has a story here. And then also, uh, you know, again, because I maybe, you know, you said looking at your personal life wasn't that I didn't grow up with affirmation, but I'm not necessarily wired. My wiring is I don't need you to tell me over and over again, I'm doing a good job. I need to know that you think I'm doing a good job, but I don't, I don't really actually, I'm uncomfortable. We could probably do a ses therapy session on that <laughs> with people giving me verbal recognition. So I'm not good at it. I've learned with the people that have worked for me. So at one point in my career, I wanted to get better. And I actually scheduled time on my calendar a few days a week to go out of my office 
to go out and interact with my team to tell someone good job on something. So it can be done. You know, as you said, some people are naturally wired that way. But if you're not, the important part, I think, is to recognize that you can improve or to see the difference that it makes and then try to systemize that, whether it's pennies or scheduling it or some other way to, to make it happen. Well, let me, let me give you a couple. I mean, I think of, so in sessions, uh, years ago, I, I would have been what I would have called a trainer. And my, you know, what I really got a kick out of was standing up in front of a room and talking for hours endlessly. Oh, man, he, he, you know, do you really train for eight hours a day? Well, it's really only, you know, six and a half with breaks. I wish it were a full eight. No, but then somewhere along the line, I learned, man, I'd much rather And this gets back to the Latin root of education. Mm -hmm. The Latin root of education is to, the the root word is to pull out of, not pour into. Mm -hmm. We think education is me pouring into you. Well, I'd rather pull out of you what's already there. So all of a sudden I started facilitating rather than training. And and we started getting much better results. So one of the questions we ask, think of the best bosses you ever had and what one or two or th- one two or three things that made them best and have the tables discuss this and then they put together and we we just chart it in a word cloud you know using some technology then you think about the worst bosses you ever had mm-hmm. and then you just put those up there and all of a sudden people come up and they go huh and then we start talking about servant leadership the best bosses they've ever had were servant leaders whether they were new, using that label or not because what were they doing? They were taking care of you. They were making a safe environment. They were, you know, all of people-centered leadership or other-centered leadership. All of that's happening. And they were just discovering that naturally. Then we said, wow, what if as a group you started doing consistently and consciously those things that your best people are doing at their best moments? Mm-hmm. What if everybody did that? Wouldn't this be a great place? Yeah. And, you know, just help people come to that for themselves rather than go, well, here here are the three practices that every, you know, servant leader, eh, just figure out what it, what it looks like here. Mm-hmm. Listen, the, uh, okay, the other one. Walked into a CEO's office one day, and first time I'd ever met them, and, and I watched the intentionality. They were sitting behind the big desk, but over to the side was a couch or a table, and we go over there and we sit as peers. Mm-hmm. Not them in the big chair and me in the junior chair across the desk, but we sat side by side across from one another. No barriers. I mean, those are little things. Take your phone or your computer, turn it over, turn it off when you sit to talk with. All of those are just amazing things you can do that are servant leadership. Well, that's great. So what kinds of things are you doing with your company and in the work that you do today to help develop both servant leaders, but also to help people to connect with their purpose. Wow. Yeah. Uh, several things, Jennifer. One of these, um, and I just yesterday, so so we haven't talked a lot about impact, even though we are talking about impact indirectly. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I do a podcast called the Higher Purpose Podcast. Yesterday, I received an email from a guy whom I know, but had no idea he listened to the podcast. Mm-hmm. You know, didn't know this at all. And all of a sudden, he said he was looking for something I'd referenced in in the current version of the podcast, current episode, uh, a resource from uh, the the guest who's an author. And, And then he tells me he's working with a TV station to create a purpose driven newscast. Wow. Wow. I'm thinking, wow, we need bunches of those in the world today instead of all of these 
bad news and cast, but he's helping them do that. And he was telling me the guest you interviewed last week lives a mile from the station. Mm-hmm. We're interviewing him. And then this guest, and I was just like, wow. So we're having impact and don't even, you know, just through a podcast, through doing the same thing you and I are doing, just talking with people, learning from businesses, business owners who are in business on purpose, hearing their stories, asking them what's something you do differently because of a commitment to purpose, and then packaging those, sharing those, coaching and consulting with companies, helping them figure out their story because your purpose is tied to your story. Okay. And your story Tell me is connected to your purpose. Okay. So understanding why you're in business, why did we set out? And if your company's dozens or hundreds of years old, you may have to go back and do a bit of an archaeological dig. What did we get in business for to begin with? And you find, oh, wow, we started to do this and and then help people, you know, kind of articulate their purpose uh, and then help them to lead in a way that is consistent with how they want to be in the world. Mm-hmm. And so the, all of that's the servant leadership place. And so it's, it's a lot of conversation. It's a lot of... Uh, I love doing retreats with leadership teams where you're drawing this out of them and, you know, and, and folks are, are, are discovering it for themselves. Don't think you're hiring me and our team to come in and tell you what your purpose is. There's nothing stupider on the planet. Right. You don't need us to come in and tell you. You need us to come in and guide you to discover it for yourself. That's great that you're doing that with companies. How about for individuals? Do you have some resources or recommendations for how they can connect with their individual story and purpose? Yeah. Um, and um, we just did a resource for friends of ours. As a matter of fact, I know, and it will still be there, but it's being launched the week that we record. And this is for Ziegler family. Ziegler family is the legacy project of Zig Ziegler. It's what his children started to honor Zig's legacy. And it's an organization that applies the teachings of Zig to parents and families. Ziegler family. And we created for them a guide to uh, talking to your child or children about purpose. Oh, very nice. So how, how, and I'll let you in on the little dirty little secret. We're hoping that by giving a guide to help parents talk to their children about purpose, they talk to themselves about purpose and figure it out for themselves. <laughs> so it's a guide for you to talk to your children, but you can ask the same questions for yourself and, and discover it for yourself. So that that's something we do. Uh, we, we've developed the Purpose Manifesto. That's just a short little inspirational thing to get you thinking about purpose. Uh, those are things we do. So where can we find the Purpose Manifesto? Is that available online? Wow. You know, and it's it's at a cleverly convenient place. Go to PurposeManifesto.com oh. and you can find the Purpose Manifesto. I like that. I like it when things are easy to find. <laughs> yeah. Easy is good. So hey, I got to say something. I don't know when we're wrapping up here. I just have to say something, Jennifer. And that is that anybody... Any place, you can be in the shadows in the background and you can impact people. Absolutely. You know, there's so many people that think that it's only the people on the stage speaking to the masses like Jennifer or, or like I am privileged to do at times or people that are on the end of the microphone in a podcast being interviewed or doing the interview. You're the ones that can impact people. No, nothing could be further from the truth. Everybody. Everybody has the opportunity to impact somebody. 
I believe that. And thank you for saying that so well. Well, tell me what's next for Kevin Monroe. <laughs> You're assuming I know what's next. For Kevin. <laughs> it could be that Kevin doesn't know what's next. That's okay, too. <laughs> right now, we are in the middle of something. And maybe by the time this airs, we'll be getting to the end of it. But we are having this fun little thing on the Higher Purpose podcast. We are doing our first Profiles of Purpose. We've identified 12 business leaders who are in business on purpose. We're capturing their story via podcast interviews, and we're also repurposing that in a Profiles of Purpose publication. So there'll be this digital print magazine coming out late May, early June that has these 12 stories with, uh, yeah, the the behind-the-scenes story and a little bit going deeper into this business leader, how they are manifesting purpose in and through their work. Well, I love so it. we see doing more ep- more episodes of that, more editions of that. But right now, we're just trying to get the first one done. Mm-hmm. Well, I will definitely will link up to where people can find that either now or soon to be in the future on your website, and they can follow the Higher Purpose podcast and you. And one thing I like about you, and I've known you now for a while, and uh, you read a lot. And you share a lot of what you read. And I don't think I've ever met a person who remembers more quotes from books than you. (laughs) I don't know that I've ever been in a conversation with you where you don't pull out a quote from a book you've read. Is that just a special gift and talent that you have? Or how do you do that? (laughs) Yeah. Um, Okay. It it must be a gift, Jennifer. No, it is a Mm -hmm. gift. And I say this, a gift is something that just comes easily and naturally for you that you think anybody else can do. You know, and so for me, I I just read, I mean, I read it several times, I'll repeat it, but yeah, it sticks. And then it just comes out. I'm like, wow, I I didn't know I knew that. I didn't know I remembered that. Um, But yeah, I don't know. I just love literature. I love reading. And, um, but our mutual friend really pushed me this week. Earlier this week, I was speaking at a, an event for our mutual friend, Mike Kim. And he said, Kevin, take all the quotations out of your presentation. I want to know what you think. I don't want you telling me what other people think. I'm like, wow. wow. So did that push you to give the best presentation of your life? Well, you'd have to ask. <laughs> no, I think it was. I think it was. Uh, it, well, it was really well, what really matters is whether or not you shook their hand when they walked in the That's room. Right. <laughs> well, okay. Let me. So, Mike, as he's going to introduce me, uh, and it's a smaller event, but he said, How many of you have met or had a conversation with Kevin this week? Mm-hmm. Everybody in the room raised their hand. And why is that? Because before I ever left home, one of the things I'd written as an aspiration I want to meet and encourage everybody in the room everybody that's part of this meeting and remind them that they belong here. That's wonderful. So what is, well, since Mike made you take all your quotes out, <laughs> what is your favorite quote about purpose? Oh, about purpose. Now, now see, uh, well, <laughs> the quotable guy has been. No, 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 no. First <laughs> I'm going to give you my favorite. When I first said that, the, the first, there is a quote that hangs on my wall right over here. I could move the camera and show it to you. This mm-hmm. is the first quotation I ever bought that was printed in any form. And it still hangs here today because it just means that much to me. And it's Jim Elliott. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. I love it. And, I will just give you, I I will, uh, gosh, so I do quote others. I'm going to share something 
that I heard myself say when we were doing the summit last year, and I used it this week, purpose thrives in community, but starves in isolation. Perfect. And that's original as far as I know. That's just <laughs> <laughs> That's the way every quote out there should be. That's original as far as I know. <laughs> yeah. you know I've, I never heard that anywhere. Uh, but, you know, so many times we, we just try to do it on our own. Yeah. And, and purpose thrives in community. We need other people. And, and it takes other people to do things of significance. But if you think you're going to do it alone, you're really going to struggle. And, and it will starve in isolation. Well, and I've heard you say that several times. So I was actually hoping that that was the quote that you would give. So because I think that perfectly captures what purpose is about and what the work that you are so passionate about um, is about. So thanks for being here with me today, Kevin. It's always a pleasure to talk with you. Oh, same here. My my pleasure. And thanks for listening. You know, because Jennifer and I had a fun conversation, but it's really more fun when there are others that get to join in and listen. There you go. Well, thanks, Kevin. Have a great day. All right. One of the best things about the journey of making an impact in the world is the people that you meet along the way and seeing how they're creating impact. My friend, Laurie Rudiman, is one of those people. She's a writer, speaker, and entrepreneur who is setting out to fix work. In her podcast called Let's Fix Work, she's tackling why work is often so miserable for many people and what we can all do to fix it. Here's some of what she's talking about. During the past 10 years, I've developed a huge network of friends and colleagues. These are people who are passionate about fixing work. They have big ideas. They're authors, speakers, consultants, and even HR ladies who want to help workers find purpose and meaning. So I'm starting a podcast to interview my friends who want to fix work. I love the Let's Fix Work podcast, and I think you will too. Check it out and subscribe over at letsfixwork.com. If you want to raise your game at work, you've got to raise your impact. Find out Jennifer's 10 best strategies to make more of an impact at work at jennifermcclure.net slash 10 ways. That's jennifermcclure.net slash 10 ways.